thank you for joining us on the Space for You podcast. My name is Colleen Parrish with the Space Foundation, and today we are joined by Dr. Kavya Manyapu, a Boeing engineer. Dr. Kavya Manyapu is a space science working in flight crew operations and testing for the CST-100 Starliner spacecraft. She is also a space test lead for the Starliner's upcoming pad abort test in White Sands, New Mexico. She serves as a mission evaluation room duty officer for the International Space Station. Dr. Manyapu holds a Bachelor of Science in Aerospace Engineering from Georgia Institute of Technology, a Master of Science in Aeronautics and Astronautics from MIT. She received her doctorate degree in Aerospace Sciences from the University of North Dakota, where she worked on Novel, which recently had its patent approved on the next generation spacesuit technologies for future planetary missions. Dr. Manyapu currently serves as the regional officer for the United Nations organizations called Space Generation Advisory Council. She is passionate about human space exploration with a belief in the universal applicability of space research for the betterment of our planet. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Manyapu. Thank you, Colleen. It's great to be talking to you. Wonderful. Well, to start off with, um, you know, I was really wondering, was space something that you were interested as a kid? Did you have someone who inspired you? Um, yes, <laughs> I should say I've always been um, a space nerd uh, ever since I could imagine. I think um, I can go back to when I was three years old, staring up at the sky. I grew up in India, and uh, almost every day, my dad, uh, my mom, and I used to spend our nights up in the, you know, up on the terrace. We had that convenience there, um, and pretty much, you know, looked at the stars. And I used to have. So many questions about what's out there um, in the skies. I guess you know the curiosity and the passion I had for just knowing what's out there was uh, fueled by. Uh, actually, my dad used to pretty much answer every question I used to have. I I had questions like, "Are there sharks in the moon? Are there you know <laughs> dinosaurs?" And you can imagine the kind of questions a three or four year old would ask and. We even talked about things like time travel when I was five years old, and it always always intrigued me. And I'm really grateful for parents like that who spent the time and uh, you know took time and patiently answered the questions that I had. So uh, that passion kind of continued. And as I grew up, my parents always told me that you know whatever, no matter whatever you pick, um, you need to be good at math and science and that kind of you was know, like okay, whatever I do, and that's gonna probably be something going into space and working in space, and that kind of was always in the back of my mind. And so, um, you know, a few years down the line, here I am working on literally a dream uh, project, I should say, uh, where I get to develop the next generation spacecraft, and you know, just being part of something bigger for humanity, and you know, just solving the grandest of challenges I guess. What a wonderful story I mean just to you know have that dream as a kid and then to be able to follow that through as an adult so it's so great that your parents were so supportive and gave you those tools of science and math are so important from a young age. (laughs) Now you helped design the Boeing spacesuit for the astronauts who are going to fly on the CST-100 Starliner spacecraft. Can you tell us some of the features of this spacesuit? Yeah so 
actually when you think about spacesuits, that's the first image that, you know, actually when you think about human space exploration in general, the first thing that comes to your mind is spacesuits. It's such an iconic image of human spaceflight. And when you actually dive deep into designing a spacesuit, it's actually, it's kind of a battle between providing protection and providing, you know, the mobility the astronauts need. And so with our spacesuits that we designed for the for Starliner capsule, we actually uh, took lessons from previous, you know, experience from wearing suits from previous missions. And uh, we've come up with uh, an innovative way of building a lightweight, more comfortable, simple, yet innovative spacesuit. One of the nice features about our spacesuit is it's, you know, 40% lighter than previous spacesuits. Um, it's lighter, more flexible, um, and we've incorporated uh, advanced materials as well into the suit. The other nice feature about our suit is the helmet and the visor. When you actually look at our suit, I like to call it uh, a hoodie. We actually have a hoodie in our suit. Uh, previous suits actually used to have what they call the neck ring, and the helmet actually attaches to this neck ring. And the neck ring itself is kind of bulky, and in order to keep the spacesuit sealed, the neck used to have what's called a neck dam, so you could seal off the, the spacesuit from, you know, so, so you can maintain the pressure. When you look at our suit, we actually don't have a neck dam. We have this really simple feature, the helmet. I say it's simple, but, you know, a lot of thought and innovation went into it. This helmet actually just falls off as like a regular hoodie in your, on your jacket, and Anytime you need it, you just flip it open and zip it up. And that's a great way to remove a lot of the extra weight that goes into building the spacesuit. Um, so that's one of the reasons why our spacesuit also weighs lighter. We also have touchscreen sensitive gloves. I mean, with the age of, you know, touchscreen and smartphones, smartphones and tablets, etc., cetera, um, we are incorporating newer technology into our spacecraft. So we are providing the capability for our astronauts to utilize tablets using these touchscreen gloves. And also, we actually make our spacesuits to accommodate a range of various sizes. And we kind of look at these as in the size range of 5th percentile female to 95th percentile male. In very simple terms, it's like you fit in you know, as many uh, sizes and weights as possible into the spacesuit. That's incredible, and that's actually one of uh, the questions I was going to ask you about because spacesuits have changed so much over the years. You know, we had the shiny silver suits, and we've had the orange ones from the shuttle era, and you've mentioned that this one is substantially lighter. Are there other ways that this suit varies from something the Apollo astronauts would have worn 50 years ago? Yeah, so um, a little background on uh, spacesuits. When you think about spacesuits, the first thing that comes to our mind is the white spacesuits, especially the images from the Apollo uh, missions. Uh, actually, there are, just like we have so many different types of, you know, costumes in our wardrobe, there are actually different types of spacesuits also. Um, and I'd like to categorize spacesuits into three different categories. The first being launch and entry spacesuits. And these spacesuits are actually worn by astronauts just during launch and then when they come back um, you know, to Earth during entry, once they're on space station, in our case, 
they're not wearing these spacesuits. When they have to step out and actually perform spacewalks, you wear a different kind of spacesuits, and those are called the microgravity suits. And that's kind of the image we usually have when we talk about spacesuits. These are the bigger, much more bulky, uh, you know, often the white suits that you see, those are the microgravity suits. And you need that bulk in them and the life support because they're out doing, you know, out venturing in space, doing a lot of spacewalks and, you know, in case of space station assembling uh, and fixing the space station. And so you need a lot more protection. And then you have third type of spacesuits that are Apollo astronauts wore, which were basically built to be utilized on the surface of the moon, where locomotion or mobility in terms of, you know, being able to walk also becomes very important. So those are the planetary spacesuits that we call. Um, in our case, the Starliner spacesuit is actually a launch and entry suit. And when you compare this to the Apollo suit, uh, the Apollo suits were... They didn't have a separate suit for launch and entry. They pretty much wore the same suit during launch and when they went on, you know, when they landed on the moon and then they had these additional features on the suit and a life support system to help them perform spacewalk. So in that sense, our spacesuit is very different from the Apollo suits. Uh, you can compare our suit to uh, something that the space shuttle astronauts wore, for example, you know, the orange suits are uh, fondly called as the pumpkin suits, those are the launch and entry suits. And when you compare it to those suits, you know, they those are kind of a good apples-to-apples apples comparison. Uh, our suit is still lighter, uh, and again, it's, it's being designed by the same um, company that designed the space shuttle suits. Uh, we've been collaborating with David Clark and company, who had experience in designing suits since, you know, um, the space flight, human space flight began. So our suit is the next step in the evolution of spacesuits, um, and it kind of, you know, lays the foundation for the next generation of spacesuits. And there was a lot of lessons learned that went into developing our suits and uh, coming up with innovative ways to reduce the mass, provide more mobility and comfort to the astronauts when they're in the suits and also be able to perform the tasks that they need to when they're in the suit to accomplish the mission. Absolutely, because there's a lot that astronauts are, you know, required to do. It's not just sitting in a capsule and, you know, being shot up while they're going. There's there's a lot of tasks that are required of them. So it's it's nice to see that they can have some comfort along with that functionality that's required. Now, are all of the features of the suit solely about functionality? Is there any other kind of message within the suit? When we talk about, uh, I'll start with functionality. So the, the major role of the spacesuit or the Starliner spacesuit or any launch and entry spacesuit is basically it acts as an emergency backup to the spacecraft's life support system for the astronaut. So, you know, we've often here, when we sit on an airplane, you have the air crew provide us instructions on if there's cabin leak, you know, pull down your oxygen mask. So basically the spacesuit is acting the same way in, in case of a cabin leak uh, in a spacecraft, but now you need not just an oxygen mask, but you need uh, an entire suit that protects your entire body uh, when you're in space, because um, once you're exposed to vacuum, it's not a good day. So that's the ma- main functionality of the spacesuit. But the, at the same time, 
once, you know, if you do have a cabin emergency scenario, you have a cabin depress happening, and the suit actually pressurizes the astronaut, it's actually, the suit becomes kind of rigid, and it's hard for the astronauts to move around, but they still have things that they need to perform in an emergency scenario. So providing the mobility and the ability for them to, you know, go and push buttons or uh, flip the switches and do the things they need is very important. So from a functionality standpoint, we've taken care of everything that's required to protect the astronauts from emergency situations. Uh, from a messaging standpoint, I guess our suit really kind of portrays the next generation of spacesuits. And I said it's, it's an evolution. While we've, we've had you know, so much experience in spaceflight, Boeing as well as David Clark, um, the suit, uh, space suit design company, that they've taken all the improvements over the years and they've taken the next leap into coming up with innovative designs. And actually, you know, um, I kind of look at spacesuits as also, you know, it, it, it's like a fashion statement, right? I mean, we want our astronauts to look, anytime you think about an astronaut or a spacesuit comes into your mind, it's, you know, it's like a superhero. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I guess it kind of gives that image uh, when you look at the, the new suits and, you know, as much as you want to think it as a superhero, you also want to provide those capabilities to increase the human potential to do what they can and accomplish um, a space flight. I guess it kind of uh, tells that story when you look at the suit. Very, very cool. Another um, kind of question about the design a little bit, you know, we see, as you talk about the evolution and kind of the future of human spaceflight, there's so many different, you know, science fiction movies and books where we get visualizations of what astronauts wear, whether it be in a capsule or on another planet. Have movies or science fiction influenced the design of this suit at all? So I would say in general, I think science fiction gives us that opportunity to think beyond and just to step outside of the box. And they've always been an inspiration for us for, you know, innovative technologies. And in our, in, in, in case of our suit, while, you know, there, there may not have been a direct influence of a particular character, um, you know, it's just the inspiration of, you know, when you look at Martian, for example, the movie, you know, th that suit looks so light. <laughs> and when you compare that and you actually look at the Apollo mission suits, I mean, it was definitely bulky, right, when you compare it to the Martian suit. So you always want to, you get inspired and you're like, how can I come up with something so sleek? And so there's definitely some uh, inspiration from science fiction uh, movies. Uh, I cannot like specifically point out and say, hey, this is the character that we based our suit <laughs> off of. But, you know, it's um, we've learned a lot of lessons. Uh, and, you know, we have astronauts here in Houston who also come in and provide their valuable inputs, uh, having worn different types of spacesuits. And it has c come a long way in how the evolution of the spacesuit has happened by the time we got to our Starliner spacesuit. Actually, uh, I should definitely mention this. If you haven't looked at it, please go look at our boots. They are really awesome. Uh, we actually collaborated with Reebok, and 
I mean, a lot of my friends, when we first unveiled the suit, that's the first thing that they messaged. like, oh my God, <laughs> the boots are so cool. They're only like two pounds a pair. And I wish I had something like that when I go mountaineering. I mean, those boots are really, I haven't seen boots like that before on a spacesuit, so they're really cool. <laughs> that is fantastic. And it's funny because so many people that you'll talk to find that science fiction, you know, inspires them to get into space and to do these types of jobs. And so I think it's a little fitting that there's, you know, some influence even from that those works to influence, you know, what they wear. So now this is this is our big question for you. Why is it blue? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the color blue is, you know, so fitting and an easy choice for Boeing, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it actually supports our Boeing heritage in space flight, our attributes in safety, uh, affordability and reliability, symbolic of strength, and of course, a pioneering future. So that was an easy choice for us for our Starliner spacesuit. Fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, when we think of space, I think most people tend to think of kind of that blue tone of when we look to the sky, even during the day, it's got the beautiful bluish color. So even though this is a little bit of a darker blue, um, it really does have a lot of those features to it. Now, Yeah, and when when you actually think about, you know, Boeing being in the sky for the last 100 years, our hope and vision is we'll be in the space flight regime for beyond the next hundred years (laughs) so it's kind of kind of is fitting absolutely that's so cool now you mentioned again like that it's much much lighter than uh, suits have been in the past is that because of any of the materials that went into making it are there different materials in this suit than suits that have been made previously so there's it's actually a combination of several things um, the first thing, as I mentioned, we don't have this neck dam, which is a metallic piece that kind of, you know, adds to the weight. And because we don't have it, you've gotten rid of that kind of weight. Uh, the way the helmet is made, we don't have a hard helmet. It's a soft helmet and still yet provides the um, protection that you need. Our boots, as I mentioned, like if, when you look at previous launch and entry spacesuits, astronauts are wearing these black heavy boots uh, leather boots steel-toed boots uh, in our case it's literally like two pounds a pair the materials themselves you know the way that the suit is made it's very minimalistic yet provides the protection you need so it's a combination of a lot of things and our they don't have to wear this additional cooling garment inside the suit uh, that also reduces the weight as well. So it's a combination of several different things, and we've tried to make it as simple, yet uh, yet enhance the performance of the suit to provide the protection it needs to. Now, knowing that this project was going to be a part of space history, and as you mentioned before, you know this is the kind of the future of spacesuits, how did it feel to be told that you were going to help design this next generation spacesuit? Well, can I say it's like a dream come true, I guess. Um, you know, uh, I started on the Starliner um, right out of college and seeing, you know, first of all, being able to work on, you know, a program like this where we actually haven't designed a human spacecraft in the last 30 years. and 
getting that opportunity and seeing it from its inception to to now like literally going from PowerPoint design to actually touching the hardware and testing and operating and working with our astronauts, you know, I couldn't ask for anything better. It's like definitely a dream dream come true. Sometimes I still like look up at the sky. The moon always inspired me. I look at the moon and I'm like pinching myself and like hey, am I really doing this, you know? <laughs> uh, I know I looked, I stared at you every single day when I was three, four years old, and I'm looking at the same moon now, but look, you know, what I'm getting to do, you know, one step closer. <laughs> so it's a privilege and an honor and a dream come true. That is so fantastic. <laughs> We've talked a little bit about, um, you know, that this suit's going to be designed for astronauts who are not going to be doing the spacewalks or anything like that, that there are some differences in walking on the moon and that sort of thing. Would alterations be possible for this suit for it to go to the moon or to Mars, or would that be a completely different design? Um, it would need to be a different design uh, just because the the environment that you will be exposed to, you know, beyond low Earth orbit would be different in terms of radiation and then, you know, when you're out venturing, for example, if you're, if you're going to Mars, for example, and you need to get out and perform some kind of, you know, vehicle maintenance, you need, you know, the microgravity type of suit. So this suit uh, has been specifically built for launch and entry suits. Okay. A launch and entry capability, I should say. And on that topic of Mars, um, we're going to shift just a little here. In a BBC interview, uh, you mentioned that it would be awesome and inspiring to have a woman take the first step on Mars, and you wouldn't mind volunteering for that. What do you find <laughs> most intriguing about humans going to the Red Planet? So I would say this, I mean, it's not just about going to the red planet, but, uh, you know, I think just being human, when you look up to the skies, you cannot stop but wonder, you know, what's out there. I guess this constant curiosity, being a human being, uh, this constant itch to go explore it exists. I don't know about, you know, you, but for me, it's like this, you know, what's out there, like every single day, you know, I'm constantly thinking about it, and I love exploring, and so it just makes it a natural step into space exploration that we would go explore the red planet, and uh, more than that, I mean, as a kid, it was this exploration, this passion for knowing what's out there, and as I grew, and now, like, you know, when I grew up, I would say, it's also, you know, when you learn about all the awesome things uh, and the benefits that we reap from space exploration for the betterment of our own planet, of our own, you know, humanity, it just makes that longing even more um, strong mm -hmm. that we need to go explore and we need to go do this so we can have, you know, a better planet here and, you know, better life. And I guess eventually it comes down to every human being is, constantly pursuing well-being and you know space exploration helps us do that so when are you applying to become an astronaut then <laughs> um so i guess i put in my application when i was three years old <laughs> but of course i i told the moon that hey i'm gonna come visit you one day uh on a serious note i did apply to be an astronaut twice so far 
Um, the last time I applied, we had 18,000-odd applicants. I was I was actually shocked, but I made it to the top 100, which is my finalist, and um, went to the interview. So we'll see. I'll probably reapply again, <laughs> and uh, we'll see what happens. Definitely. So the congratulations. Even the top 100, that's fantastic. I know that was a record breaker for the most people who had applied. And I'll admit I thought about applying, but it's like, well, there's no way I'd get it. So I regret not doing it a little bit. So kudos to you. And, you know, I know some of the most well-known astronauts had to apply several times. So I don't think any of us would be shocked in a few years to hear your name added to that list. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Now, you were actually a flight engineer um, for the Mars Desert Research Station uh, for Expedition 102 and 141. Can you tell us a little bit about those experiences? Yeah, so um, I had this really neat opportunity to participate in Mars Desert Research Station, the MDRS, and actually another simulation as well here at NASA Johnson Space Center, where pretty much like for 15 to 20 days, you are, you know, for MDRS, uh, it's basically a habitat in the middle of, I'd like to call nowhere. It it was in the middle of Utah, uh, where you, you are selected as part of a crew, international crew, and you go there and, um, selection of the crew is based on you know the type of experiments and technology development you'd like to perform and each of the crew members has a specific background and we bring in experiments for the future of you know space technology to develop the space technology and test it but the nice thing about it is it gives us an opportunity to stay in that habitat as if you are simulating living on Mars and conducting your experiments so it gives you a very realistic view of what it is like to be in the middle of nowhere because that's how it's going to be when you're on the red planet and we had to actually uh, simulate wearing spacesuits every time we stepped out of the habitat we had specific schedules to follow Uh, we had you know we had exploration mission like uh, spacewalks i should say as part of the missions we also simulated uh, communication gap between talking between the crew and our uh, mission support who were actually around the world helping the crew get through the mission itself. So it was a very, I mean, it was a very unique opportunity because, you know, you're designing these technologies for extreme environments. And when you sit at your cube and you're designing these things, you don't really understand the kind of constraints or you won't have the appreciation for the kind of constraints astronauts would face on such missions. And so... Getting to participate in these simulations gave, you know, uh, an appreciation for, oh my God, this is how it's going to be, so I need to go back and rethink how I'm either designing or operating these machines or, you know, the technology that we are developing. So that was an amazing experience. And another one that I got to do here at NASA, um, it was basically simulation going to an asteroid. And so we were locked up in this habitat and... Basically, it was an isolation study on how, you know, the technologies that you need to perform a a deep space exploration mission. And so we had these, like, cameras all around, but at the same time, 
you're actually going through and performing, you know, very similar duties, kind of the schedule that ISS astronauts have on board. You're doing experiments, you have vehicle maintenance, you know, I was part of a crew of four people, and, you know, you get, there's a lot of simulations going on. We were testing a lot of new technologies for deep space exploration, and, you know, just, if you can imagine being in a tin can for, you know, even three days, right, imagine that you need to spend three years in a tin can with four or five other astronauts if you're going to the red planet or even if you have an outpost mission on the moon and who knows in the future to an asteroid or other deep space um, exploration mission. So it was definitely a very wonderful opportunity and it gave me a lot of insight into what it is to be actually be on such a mission. That is completely incredible. You have done so much um, in such a short time. I know you're you know, right in kind of that new generation uh, space leaders for the program that we've got here at the Space Foundation for the up and coming. And, you know, you've just done some truly amazing things. And like I said, I don't think any of us would be surprised to hear your name as being part of the astronaut corps here, you know, within the next five years even. You've done some very incredible things, and it's been truly a pleasure to speak with you today. So thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with our listening audience today. You know, the work that you're doing is making the world and really our whole universe such a better place. Thank you, Colleen. It was really wonderful sharing my experiences with you as well, and thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. So, yes, we're just so grateful Um, And I know that our viewers really enjoyed this today. So again, I am Colleen Parrott of the Space Foundation, and I am inviting you to learn more about our work at spacefoundation.org or by visiting us at the Discovery Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Please keep your eyes and ears open for more podcasts coming your way because at the Space Foundation, we always have space for you.